Welcome to Sound Medicine, mantras and music podcast, where you will hear from various healers, musicians, visionaries, and educators. Get ready to experience transformational and inspiring storytelling, songs, chants, and interviews that will uplift your spirits, mood, and health. Welcome back to Sound Medicine, Mantras, and Music. I am your host, Gio. Today, I'm so excited to welcome David G. onto our show. He's a globally recognized mind, body, health, and wellness expert and a prolific writer. You probably know his book, Secrets of Meditation, which was the winner of Nautilus Book Award, as well as his bestseller, Destressifying, and most recently released book, Sacred Powers. David G. is a prolific teacher, writer, creator of guided meditations. You can listen to over 1,000 guided meditations available on Insight Timer, Daily Ohm, Apple Music, just to name a few. He is often referred to as the velvet voice of stillness and credited with creating the 21-day meditation process. He did spend 20 years in a career of business and finance before beginning this journey and apprenticing under Drs. Deepak Chopra and David Simon serving as the lead educator, COO, and first dean of Chopra Center University, where he trained over 300,000 people to meditate and certified over 2,500 meditation teachers. That's actually where David G. and I met for the first time, and I have great respect for this man of deep wisdom and amazing storytelling. I'm so happy to welcome him to the show, and I'm sure you will want to listen to the entire episode. Enjoy. Okay, here we are with David G. And uh, first, I just wanted to thank you for your uh, your decades of of support and dedication to the path of helping all of us uh, on our path uh, with your teachings and uh, and your wisdom. So thank you for being here. It's truly um, a treat. Oh well, you're so welcome, and thank you so much for inviting me to hang out with you on this journey. So I'm so appreciative. Thanks. Can you tell us? Uh, for those of uh, those listeners who don't know much about your background, because it's a very interesting story and is, is whatever concise way you want to bring us to the present moment, what, what has led you on your path to be where you are now with the vision and the passion you, that you bring to the table? What, where, where, what is a little, tell us a little about what it's like to be David G and what's <laughs> brought you here. It's horrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just to be in my head. So for those of you who don't know, I've, uh, I've been teaching meditation for a while and I've been practicing meditation, uh, really all forms of present moment awareness, mindful performance, stress management, and, uh, you know, all, all those areas that that extends to. And I've worked with, uh, Marines up in Camp Pendleton, just north of both of us. Here, I've uh, worked with yogis, I've worked with people in the corporate world and cops, people in high-stress positions, regular people who don't necessarily have a, a category that they fit in, or maybe it's all categories. And um, I began that journey when I was in uh, college. Uh, there was an experimental Asian studies course, and I figured, oh, I'll check that out. It was a Zen meditation. There were 12 of us in the class. We sat in a circle couple of times a week and our uh, Zen master would stand in the corner and uh, we would meditate and uh, we were instructed that when we when a thought popped into our head we should raise our hand in the middle of the meditation even though we kept our eyes closed and in his hand he carried an 18 inch bamboo stick known as a kesaku and uh, when we raised our hands he would come over and thwack us on the back so uh, I only lasted in that school of meditation uh, a couple of weeks. I ended up dropping that class because it was too, I, I felt like a failure. You know, oh I kept getting, kept getting hit and obviously it, it stopped me from having that thought. But uh, I left that and started pursuing other types uh, of present moment awareness techniques like candle gazing. I studied and explored mantra and tantra and chocolate tasting meditation and and sound healing and um, vibrational um, elevation, astral projection, things along those lines, you know, as kooky as, kooky as it gets um, sure. and as scientific as it 
got, you know, back in the day. And uh, as I got uh, more involved in the corporate world, I realized that I sort of was letting go of my meditation practice. And as I got deeper and deeper and deeper into, you know, working 18 hour days, seven days a week type of type of thing, I realized that I had totally forgotten my meditation practice and gone with that, of course, uh, was balance. And gone with that, of course, was time for reflection or even thinking I was living a purposeful life or anything along those along those lines. I was feeling pretty empty, pretty, pretty burnt out, pretty hollow. My relationships were suffering emotionally. I was a, a wreck. Um, I was waking up just to work. And I'd wake up around two o'clock in the morning with a, with a knot inside of, you know, my heart, my stomach. And I pretty much held on to that pain all day long until at the end of the day, I would ease it away with a glass of scotch or something like that. And, you know, balance was gone. Meaning was gone. Purpose was gone. And for a while there, I worked on the 82nd floor of Tower 2 of the World Trade Center. And in the wake of uh, 9-11, um, I was walking past a row of cardboard boxes that people were living in, in southern Manhattan. And as I walked past this particular box, this hand reached out and grabbed my pant leg. And this face peered up at me and said, what's going to be on your tombstone? It's a fairly reflective question. You know, it's, it's not usually what we're, we're expecting to encounter you know, as we're walking the streets and, and we hung out and speaking to each other just for, for what it seemed like hours. I call these butterfly moments where suddenly mm-hmm. like everything else in existence stopped, you know, the traffic stopped, the people stopped. There was no one else in existence except the two of us gazing into each other's eyes. And then as I walked away, my knees got weak. I was streaming tears. I was hyperventilating and I sat down on some steps of an apartment building, you know, down the block and, you know, I was just trying to catch my breath, just trying to figure out what just happened. What, what was that thing? And um, so I went home that night and I shared that with my wife. And she was like, dude, you need to like quit your job. Just like end it all. There's this guy, Deepak Chopra. He's doing a meditation retreat in Oxford, England. Why don't you like sort of like go there? Remember that meditation thing that you used to do that brought you joy back in the day? Maybe you could rekindle that. Maybe you could respark that. So I'm fairly obedient. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. And so a couple of months later, headed off to the land of Harry Potter. And for this, you know, week long meditation retreat, where we meditated for like, you know, seven, eight hours a day. And on the third day of that retreat, my heart, which had felt like it was like this, this white linen cloth that had been immersed in black India ink. Suddenly it was like, I was draping that cloth in like this rushing stream. And every day it was getting more cleansed and lighter. And for the first time, maybe in 20 years, I actually felt joy. I hadn't, uh, hadn't been focused on that, hadn't been part of my life, but suddenly such lightness. Um, and I felt joy for, for, for things. And so at the end of that retreat, you know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Deepak, there was supposed to be like a couple of thousand people there, but because of, it was in the wake of nine 11, there were like 50 people. So I really got the opportunity to connect with him and them on a deeper level. And I said, you know, I'm still, I'm still searching you know, I'm still searching for answers. What should I do? And he said, oh, you should definitely go to, go to India. And maybe you, yeah. So I was like, okay, sure. So, you know, I was in England at the time. I went to the, you know, to the consulate and and got a a visa, a six month visa and headed off, you know, (laughs) called my wife and said, oh, by the way, I think I'm taking this a little further now. So I headed off to India in search of the guru you know, traveling high and low, went to Dharamsala to, to visit His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He wasn't there that day. And each day I was like meditating in the morning and practicing yoga and lighting candles and incense and swimming in the Ganges and praying. And I'm doing all that stuff and meeting people and having conversations. And when I was coming close to the end of that six month time, I was actually laying in a cashew forest in Kerala, Southern India. And I was reading the Bhagavad Gita, this ancient Indian text. It's about 2,300 years old. And I had read it hundreds and hundreds of times. But suddenly, as I read the words of chapter two, verse 48, everything became clear to me. And that's when, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna, who's the protagonist, the great warrior, he's conflicted in life. He's conflicted in the, in the moment. He doesn't understand how he's supposed to, to move through the world. And he says to God, disguised as Krishna, disguised as his charioteer, you know, he says, how am I supposed to live my life? And Krishna replies, yoga sta kuru karmani, 
which means establish yourself in the present moment and then perform action. And it seems, oh, duh, absurd. Yes, of course, everyone knows that. But for some reason, it hit me as like the most profound lesson that I could ever get. And I was like, that's it. If I could just get still before I speak, get still before I act, get still just as I'm having a thought, I'll have greater clarity and then I'll perform action. Then I'll have the conversation. Then I'll do the thing. And so I was like so thrilled and I raced back to New York and, you know, after I'm like hanging out, meditating for like five hours a day, every single day for a couple of months, a friend of mine, actually two friends of mine came over for like an intervention and they were like, dude, what you do is like sit around and meditate. And I was like, I know, isn't it amazing? And they're like, uh, no, you should probably do something with that. Maybe you should teach other people. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm from New York. I'm not really interested in, in anybody else's meditation. And they will, well, if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. And, uh, you know, come on, your boy Deepak, he's got like a center in California where you could like learn to teach. So I was like, okay, again, I'm fairly obedient. So I did that, unplugged, headed out to California uh, for this workshop. And um, at that workshop, it was actually a mind-body healing workshop. And at that workshop, it was sort of like a love connection between me, Deepak, and his partner of 20 years, Dr. David Simon. And in that process, you know, they said, well, would you want to be the uh, COO here and run the Chopra Center? And I was like, yeah, would you please share with me every single thing you know? And they were like, well, I don't know about that, but how about we start with some kind of, you know, basis. And that evolved into me becoming, you know, teaching meditation every single day and getting certified in yoga and Ayurveda and meditation and ultimately becoming the lead educator and then becoming the dean of Chopra Center University and then traveling the world with the two of them, training hundreds of thousands of people to meditate and certifying people, um, myself in meditation and um, did that for about 10 years, apprenticing under both of those guys. And then um, in 2012, I figured, you know what? time for me to head out and do this, do my thing, whatever that is. And so I began traveling to different countries, traveling to hospitals and schools and, and places where people would not otherwise have access to meditation. And then began teaching it to members of the Department of Justice and then cops and then members of the military and then working in the corporate world. And then, you know, hanging out and creating my own meditation teacher training and teaching clairvoyance and mediums and yogis and meditators and, and, and everyone. And that, uh, that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last, uh, you know, eight years now, just obviously not traveling too much during, during COVID, but that's been so great for me because, you know, I'm not thinking about where's my luggage and what's my connection and where do I have to fly and all that other stuff. You know, I get to hang out and have conversations with people like you about, stuff that I think is the most important stuff on the planet. So at a certain point, I just dedicated myself to sharing these teachings with other people so they can make better decisions and they can take their lives to the next level. And that's an incredible story. I mean, you, you're talking about work and I think a lot of people can relate to the working, like live to work kind of thing, working 16 hour days or even, I even think eight hour days are too long, but, um, you know, and, uh, and then just like from one end of the spectrum and then you go to meditate the other end of the spectrum. No wonder like people kind of came in and are like, what do you do? And there's like a middle way there, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah. Being a human being, are we going to meditate all day long and just be all the time or just going to do all the time? Or is there a, a doobie dance of some sort, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, here you are with, with this vision. Um, and well, I was always taught when I was younger to follow your heart, you know, the Joseph Campbell thing. And that's, I've, I've kind of used that as a guiding light. And, um, it sounds like you, oh, as you're showing me the book right there, the, <laughs> the hero with a thousand faces. No meaningless coincidences. <laughs> oh my God. That's you're like right there. You just pulled that out. Amazing. I mean, it, cause as you're talking, you're talking about, the Bhagavad Gita, you're talking about your story and we're talking about the hero's journey. And it, right now we're in the middle of so many people have a, an indescribable amount of stress and fear and just overwhelm on a personal level and a collective level. And what do we do with that? You know, and I think looking at some of these, we have to look at our own journey, our own hero's journey and, and see the bigger picture if we're going to if we're going to have any hope of light. And I was just wondering if you'd speak to that a little bit. Yeah, sure. 
and I don't believe in meaningless coincidences. So that was like, you utter the words, Joseph Campbell. And honestly, right before we connected, I was just uh, sitting, you know, it's one of my favorite books. And I was just sitting there looking, looking through it because there's, you know, the, the hero's journey always begins with a calling. And some of us, you know, feel it or hear it. It's so overt and obvious to us. And, and others of us, you know, we keep saying like, what am I supposed to be doing? Where, where's my meaning in life? Where's, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Sort of like when you're in like your, you're, when you're 18 years old and then you're in your first year in college and you're like, what's, what am I, what's my major? What, what am, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And like, you don't have a clue. How could you, how could anybody 18 years old ever really know that? But you know, there, there is a calling. And I believe that if someone's participating in this conversation right now, everyone who's, who's, who's really on board with this right now, obviously when you're looking for a sign, that's the sign. The fact that you're here connected to you and, and me and this conversation means that obviously they have sensed that call in some way and shown up because I believe each of us are being summoned on a, on a consistent basis. And of course, our hormones and chemicals and our fears and anxieties and our limiting beliefs always get in the way of all that. And that's why we make decisions out of fear or desperation instead of yoga stakuru karmani, getting still first before we take action. You know, we, we live our lives with, with so many conditioned behaviors and so many knee-jerk ways of responding to the world, you know, thoughtless, mindless. And I believe that there are some tools and techniques and, and they're tens of thousands of years old, you know, even if it's just watching our breath or, or, or silently repeating a mantra or sitting in contemplative prayer or, or anything along those lines that really help us get into that state of flow, get into that state of, of, and it doesn't have to be a nirvana moment. It doesn't have to be, you know, an aha moment. It's really just giving ourselves permission to surrender to our native energies, to really, you know, allow what's already inside of us to awaken. You know, all of our healing is the return to the memory of our wholeness. And so whether, whatever the modality is of, of healing, you know, that we ascribe to or that we connect to in a particular moment, it's always, you know, we were born perfect and whole and pure. And then a bunch of stuff happened, you know, and here we are. And um, so many veils that are that are layering us, you know, veils of you know, blocking our heart from receiving love and 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 giving love, veils from really being in the kind of situation where we could be our most authentic expression. And I think that it's you 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 hit the nail on the head. It's it, it's not going to come from going into a cave and meditating for a hundred hours. How do I know? I've done that. You know, I, I know that, you know, been there, done that. That's like, that, that doesn't deliver anything to anyone. I believe the spiritual journey is actually a journey that you make from your own flawed mortal existence to that higher expression of yourself, the best version of yourself. And we've all been there. We've all said the perfect thing at the perfect time. We've done the perfect thing at the perfect time. You know, it's like hashtag nailed it. You know, we're just like, we've been, we've been like so perfect and brilliant in that moment. But those are fleeting moments. And I believe that if we're willing to get still a little more frequently and practice a technique such as meditation or spending time in, in nature or just allowing rather than forcing or imposing, that uh, we can make that journey and take a little thimble full or a tweezer full or eyedropper full of your unconditioned self, which is infinite possibilities, and then bring that back into our waking state. So I think, as you said, you know, the, the doobie doobie dance is so critical because we, you know, we, we want to access greatness and then integrate it into us and then move out and do that again. And, and that's why it is a constant flow. It's a dynamic exchange that we're, that we're always having. And that's why there's no finish line. That's why, you know, we're, we're, no one like suddenly gets it and it's done. Every that's why they call it a practice because every day you have to wake up and say, "All right, what's what's the best I can bring today?" How, how have you, how have you shifted with your journey in the last ten plus years in terms of as you go peel the layers back more in your own life and your mind and your experiences and and understanding the nature of this infinite being disguised as David G. What, what are you? What are these 
what's coming through these days? What's changed and what's here now? What's present for you? Well, I think when I first started teaching, you know, I was studying the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and the Rig Veda and, and, and the Dhammapada and, and all the teachings of, you know, the Sufi trainings and Vedanta and the ancient Vedas and, and Buddhist philosophy and like all those, all, all those types of knowledge bases. And I would like ingest it all and then, and then share it and ingest it and share it. And what I, what I really learned over time was, was that it's so much more effective to, to listen rather than speak. Because if all you're doing is just regurgitating what you've ingested, then what's, what's the point? So that, I think that's really how I've evolved over the years is to become a better listener you know, from the East Coast. So, of course, you know, there's a whole control freak going on, high achiever control freak happening. And I've learned to surrender a, a lot more and, and, and give it over and stop really thinking that I'm, you know, making everything happen. You know, I'm not the result. You know, my action, whatever, whatever the result is, is not, you know, it may be sparked by my actions or by my words, but there's a whole co-conspiracy going on. There's a whole much more larger larger conversation that's really happening. And so that's allowed me to get out of my way a lot more. And I think that being a lot more uh, forgiving to myself and to others, I think, you know, forgiveness is such an important practice. I think at the cellular level, I'm not telling you anything you don't know and teach and share and, and help others with, but at the cellular level, every single emotional, you know, every experience that we have is embedded at, in, in our cells and we're carrying it in every single moment. And so there's amazing stuff. There's great stuff in there. And there's also a lot of crap, you know, it's a lot of negativity and, and that, that, that little voice that's been scolding us, you know, since we were five years old, perhaps. And so I think that my path is teaching people to get still and silent so they can make better decisions. And so, you know, even, and, and it's so funny because people even are resistant to getting still and silent. You know, I have a relative of mine. She's like never stopping. When she pulls up at a red light, she's like pops open her phone and she's playing Candy Crush, you know, or Scrabble or something like that. She can't let like one, one free second go by. And I found that she, she, uh, she's in a lot of pain and she went to a, an acupuncturist and she said, oh my God, now I know what you've been talking about. He left me alone in that room for like 10 minutes. And I just sat there and meditated with all these needles in my face and my body and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, everyone's got to find their own way at their own time. You know, that was, that was her moment. She actually needed to be in, a pain, in pain. And I believe that pain can be a really empowering uh, motivator. Oh, yeah. To that next step. Sometimes that's actually what's calling us. We're in so much pain that we say, okay, fine. I'll, I'll stop trying to do it my way. Maybe there's another path here you know, yeah. to my emotional or physical healing. Absolutely. And, um, you know, what, what have you found? I mean, you wrote a book, correct? Called de-stressifying. Is that yeah. It? yeah. And what have you found as some of the, you know, as, as we live as human beings, one thing to say, I'm an eternal being, you know, I'm infinite, I'm immortal, I'm all knowing and, you know, rest in that, you know, but most of us, we go around with lots of thoughts in our head, lots of desires pulling us in various directions, trying to just navigate. Most of us are trying to navigate how to take care of a family and make a living. And and we have a little bit of time to put into purpose and, and that and path. And that is like a lot of us are just trying to make sense of just the day-to-day -day stuff. So, you know, you have different levels of trying to how to show up in, in, in this world in terms of, so I'm just wondering from your perspective, it's like from a practical guide for, for living and de-stressifying, um, you know, if you're, if you're in that cave and you're in between lives and you're in spirit, you, there's nothing to stress about, right? Probably. But, but that's, that's not the case most of the time as, as we identify as human beings. Do you have any advice uh, or thoughts or for, for most of us that are, dealing with stresses and conflicts and challenges. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, here's the reality. Uh, no one's living in a cave. The reality is that we're all dealing in the real world where we have health issues, where we have aging issues, where we have money issues, where we have 
emotional charge that's inside of us, you know, from, from turb- emotionally turbulent interactions or conversations. Every one of us has like a relative that pushes our button or, or someone in our life that really, you know, pokes us in a certain way. There's leaky faucets that we have to fix. There's, you know, there's flat tires. I mean, there's like basic stubbing your toe. I mean, real life is real life. It includes, it includes everything. And, you know, one of the most important things that we can remember is, you know, yeah, there's a whole timeless body of wisdom, but the key is to integrate it into practical application. How do I live my life with greater ease? Uh, it's not going to come from, you know, from running away and, and going into the cage, uh, into the cave. It's, it's only going to come from you practicing as a starting point, some self-kindness that evolves into self-compassion which is where you actually root for yourself, you know, mm. for your own suffering to end. Um, I think that's a big one, actually. Oh my God, I think that's, I think that's like so critical. If we could just like get on the path to mastering that, forget mastering it, but just right. like doing that because um, we're so, you know, who's our harshest critic? It's ourselves. You know, who's the, who's the biggest scolder in our lives? It, it's ourselves. Who's trying to, you know, spank us for not getting the lesson the 30th time? It's ourselves. It's rarely somebody else, you know, who's, who's necessarily coming over to you and saying, you know, that decision that you made, you know, eight hours ago, you probably should have thought it. it's always us. And then we're like laying in bed, thinking about it, waking up the next morning. And, you know, they call that like emotional leakage. It, it, it filters into every conversation, every reaction that we had. So the reason I wrote Destressifying is I, I had written my first book, you know, Secrets of Meditation, uh, included a lot of different modalities uh, for, for meditating from, from chakras to, to sound therapy, to mantras, to tantra, you know, so many different different mindfulness, so many different techniques. And I was teaching a lot in the corporate world and I was teaching, I started teaching law enforcement. I started teaching the Dutch special forces. And suddenly like I was, I was doing like all this other stuff and people would come up to me and they, they would say like, do you have a book, you know? And, and I didn't want to send them to secrets of meditation because parts of that could be construed as being a little woo woo. And so I wrote de-stressifying after doing like really a lot of scientific research and talking about what I felt were really important keys for us to living lives of, of greater grace and, and greater ease. Uh, first of all, living with greater awareness. Then how do we cultivate our awareness? That's what meditation is. It's not meant to be a high. It's not meant to be nirvana. It's not meant to, to be anything other than we're cultivating our ability to witness, witness ourselves, witness our own heart, witness our own emotions witness others, witness the world around us to really just like see it before we have a judgment, you know, whether that's stuff coming in or, or stuff going out. You know, another core component to that is emotional intelligence, where we're really paying attention to how we feel, really coming up with a more, I don't want to say complex, but a more expanded definition of all of our emotions. A lot of times we're like, I feel crappy, or I feel great, or I love that. Or I hate that. You know, we our emotions are so multidimensional. We can there's so many nuances between that. And emotional intelligence is really, you know, you feel a pain physically or emotionally, and you like, where is that in my body? And what's that really making me feel? What's what's the true emotion behind this thing? And that leads to the, a, a, another core component is essentially what what need of mine is not being met. And there are four needs of the heart that I, that I talk about and then I teach others how to ultimately meet. And that is attention. We all want attention. We all want to receive it, be seen. Everybody needs to be seen in some way. Um, affection, which is sort of like that on a kinder basis. We all want to be smiled at or winked at or nodded to or hugged or kissed or petted or, or whatever that is. Even if it's just a, you know, right now we're like bumping elbows in the era of COVID, but that would be like a form of, of affection, attention, affection, appreciation. Everybody needs to feel that in some way. We all want to, to, to feel that we're appreciated, that we're acknowledged, that we're recognized. And we like that a lot in front of other people. That's something that people aren't getting right now. There's rare being acknowledged in front of a group because there's no groups unless it's a Zoom call, group, a group Zoom collect connection. And the last one is acceptance. Everybody wants to be accepted. 
Everybody wants to uh, feel a sense of belongingness to something. It could be a town, a community, like-minded people. It could be a sports team, a religion. Uh, you know, there's so many, you know, it could be a, a, a musical group. It's like, yeah, I'm one of those people. I, I just listened to the, new, to the new album, you know, things along those lines. So attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance are so core and critical to us meeting our needs. And there's actually a process known as, you know, conscious communication or nonviolent communication where we have a higher likelihood of getting our needs met. So I think that, you know, there's a process to actually, you know, communicating our needs to people who we care about or who we think care about us and asking them to be met in a very conscious way, as opposed to like, you're so selfish or, you know, you don't respect my time. You know, even the simplest thing is someone arriving late or showing up late to something that you both agreed upon a time. You know, there are ways to actually communicate it so that you don't then argue for an hour, but you actually solve, you know, the problem. Uh, another aspect of de-stressifying, and I think this is, you know, so important, is our quest for meaning, uh, for noble purpose, for feeling like we're doing the thing that we should be doing, uh, that feels so right, that feels so aligned. You know, that uh, when we're doing it, time stands still, or that when we're doing it, there's a real balance or a real comfort. You and I have in this conversation, it feels so pure, so, so perfect. You know, I'm not like trying to figure out what, uh, what should I tell Gio now? You know, and you're not trying to go like, hmm, let me come up with another brilliant interview question. You know, it's, it's, we've, we've transcended that. And so that can, we, we could call it Dharma or, or we could call it, you know, purpose or meaning or, but it comes back to that first question that that man living in a, in a cardboard box, you know, what's going to be on your tombstone? It's getting a little clearer about like, okay, here you are in this sacred, precious, present moment. What are you going to do with it? I think that's, well, let's just pause with that. That's, I mean, that's a beautiful thought. What are you going to do with the moment? Is pure potential for anything in this moment. You don't have to keep responding. I can't, I can respond a new way. I can choose to think a different way as I usually do with this person or this situation that's maybe more going to beautify the world instead of maybe bring it down. Or I can, you know, I think that's where creativity can come into place. And I, for me, you know, there, you talked about the knee-jerk reactions. I think that's a really, it's an important part of this process you're talking about in terms of living an elevated perspective instead of just being a reaction to everything all the time, just taking a step back and taking a bird's eye view and, and really questioning ourselves and, and looking at different ways to think, speak, and act that are more in alignment with maybe a higher vision. Yeah, I think that's critical. And I think it's, it's one of the most... So I think that one of the most important things that we can uh, remember, you know, and, and, and again, it goes back to that doobie 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 dance is that so many of the the biggest decisions we make are really little choices that's how our life unfolds it's from this this flow of of all the little choices that we make in life i'm sure you and i and everybody here right now could probably you know take out a piece of paper and write down the top 20 things that suck about our life because of coronavirus you know <laughs> We, we could come up with like that master list of all those things. Only 20? <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, that, that, that's exactly it. So we could sit down and we'd be like, this sucks and that sucks. And that, I can't believe that. And now oh, I got to spend time with these people and I can't go out. Oh, now people are like arguing with me. Oh, politics comes into every single moment. Oh, you know, it's just like on and on and on. And we could also craft that list as well of 20 things that have been the blessings of these four or five months that we've spent in quarantine or suppressed or running with the, with the emergency break on, you know, and I'm, and I've said to people, do you want to hold your breath for six months? Or do you want to learn to breathe? It's a choice. You know, we, we, we can do both, but one is going to bring extreme unnecessary suffering and the other might add value. To, to yourself and, and, and to somebody else. And I think that's, that's the key because, you know, at the heart of this whole coronavirus thing, this, we, we co-created it. We manifested this. I'm sure you and I and, gee, I don't know, everybody on the planet, 
but only 10,000 times, has said over the last 10 years, ah, oh, I wish things would just slow down. Ah, mm. oh, I wish I just had more time to think. Ah, oh, I wish I could take a little break from my work. Oh, I wish I could not have to be with these people. I wish I could lay on the couch. I wish I could go camping. I wish I could, you know, we, it could go on and on and on and on. And, and here it is, uh, perhaps not the way we begged and pleaded for it or prayed for it, but this is that moment. So how do we not take advantage of it? You know, and that's why I think, you know, it's so beautiful that, that you have this, this, you know, this podcast, this platform where people can really take stuff in during a period of time when everyone's feeling like the walls are coming in and everyone's just like waiting for the thing to end. Guess what? It's not going to end. You know, we're going to just suddenly get used to a new way of living life. And then maybe that will ease away. And then another new way of living life. But, you know, the planet as we knew it is not jumping on planes and going into movie theaters and hanging out in restaurants and then everyone, you know, sharing, a, sharing the same glass. Those days, a bunch of people may do it, but there used to be a time where no one was even thinking. Now, if someone yawns, you know, or, or coughs or sneezes, it's just like, am I too close? Did I just get infected? You know, like all those things. It's going to be a while till we get beyond that. So rather than waiting for them to blow the whistle and go, okay, everybody, you know, free swim, uh, get back out there. I think we have to like learn to, to like, how do I nourish myself? How do I love myself even more during these times? And where do I want to put my attention? On my list of the 20 and growing horrible things, you know, annoyances, irritations, and traumas of, of this period of time, or all the blessings and the gifts, you know, that, that, that we have the ability. And I'm not, I'm not into Pollyanna, and I'm not into fake it till you make it. And I don't want to just like, let's just make up good stuff. And it's all dolphins and mermaids and rainbows. But the reality is, it's a choice. That glass is half full or half empty. It's a choice. It's not like one or the, you know, it's, it's, it's not uh, dictated upon us. And, you know, one of those most beautiful lines is um, by Viktor Frankl. You know, he said, um, between stimulus and response, there is a space, right? Between everything that comes into us and everything that goes back out. And that includes our thoughts going back out. You know, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so it's not theoretical, it's a choice. What do you want to, what do you want to choose? And this doesn't mean every time suddenly you stumble and break your ankle, you, you, you have to say, oh my God, thank you. That was so great. Thanks for breaking my ankle. I feel so happy. Thanks for this person yelling at me. And thanks for this conflict in my life. It's not that. It's again, comes back to that. Okay, what, what do you want to do with it? I believe everybody, need, everybody needs to visit the land of hurts and wounds once in a while, but nobody needs to live there. Right. And I think, I think it's that giving ourselves permission to, as you said, you know, this, this infinite possibilities. It's like, what do you want to choose in this moment? It could be anything. And usually, really? usually, right, right. It could be anything. And like, we don't even know what the word infinite means. You know, I think, you know, we know it like a trillion is because they just like approved another trillion dollars or where they're just about to, you know, to give to the large companies. <laughs> Yeah, because because you know I think it was like thirteen percent of that first two trillion actually trickled down to the people who needed it, and like right. you know, the the other eighty seven percent of it, you know, was like you know people who are like, thanks, we need more of that. <laughs> so you know, so I think that we have an opportunity. Um, I, I think it's really important. We have an opportunity in every single moment on not just how we want to view something but how we want to translate it into us. You know, we have 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's like a thought every 1.2 seconds. They are coming in. And we, we can process about 110 bits of information every second. And 60 of those are pretty much getting used up just trying to decode language. So there's not, you know, there's not a, lot of, another, a lot of other space. So what do you want to fill it with? You know, do you want, and I, and I believe all the outrage that we, that we're experiencing right now, social outrage, political outrage, health related outrage, uh, financial outrage, all that stuff. We can either just scream at the top of our lungs and then 
everyone's going to get screamed over. Or we can say, how can I channel this into purposeful action? How can I actually do something with this? You know, and I'm not saying don't be pissed off. Martin Luther King was pissed off the whole time. You know, he was living with rage, but he channeled that rage. You know, his pathway was, you know, nonviolent, you know, protest. And you look at John Lewis, you know, he's another person who like channeled that rage into massive political discussion and elevating rights. So we get to do that too. We can do it in small ways. We could do it in big ways. You know, not everyone's going to be MLK or, or John Lewis. Most people, you know, are not going to be, but we could definitely, definitely choose to be a, a little better than I, than I was yesterday. And if that's too much pressure, you know, how about like just a, maybe a little better than I was last week. And, you know, so just to make that level of internal, internal commitment, you know, let me live with greater intention rather than just so casually and just waiting to die. You know, let me make this thing matter. Let me make each day matter because because it does. The impact that we could have just in a 10 second interaction could be so profound. So I think everyone right now, you know, who's who's part of this conversation, you know, take out your phone and text someone that you have anyone in your calendar and t- and text them thinking of you and sending love. Now you may say, oh, wait, I don't want to tell people I love them. This isn't, this isn't that. It's thinking of you and sending love. You know? And if you like, can't deal with love, that's probably a deeper issue with you <laughs> than it is with that other person that you're afraid of. But you know, just a simple, get, just getting a text like that lights up anyone's day. And it's the, you know, in my le- most recent book that I wrote, Sacred Powers, I call that the sacred power of your ripple. We're just not aware enough of the impact that we could have, the positive impact that we could have, not by being inauthentic, not by being calculating or manipulating, just by expressing to someone something that we're feeling, but we otherwise wouldn't be sending it. So just a simple text like that will will, will create a profound shift. That's beautiful. Really, really well said. And I mean, for those that are even more daring, a video, because it's so much nicer to see a face than words, you know, like... (laughs) Yeah. And you can do that on Instagram, just like a, you know, a 16 second video, you know, how long does it take to say something like thinking of you and sending love? That was about three seconds. So imagine what you could do in in a 16 second, you know, Instagram little video message that you could send and you could certainly make it longer. No one pays attention usually more than 16 seconds. But if you have a a one minute video of love, believe me, the person's not going to turn it off at the 16 second mark. They're going to watch it over and over and over. For sure. And, you know, something you've hit upon that's kind of striking me is when a lot of the original meditation studies came out, we were looking from like a left brain scientific rationale of like, what does meditation do? Oh, well, what's its effect on cortisol or telomerase or blood pressure and all these kind of uh, outcome measures? But, you know, those are nice and interesting. But what you're you're hitting at here, which I really want to kind of highlight is that the pot, meditation really allows us to to go deeper so that we can see that there is a different way to respond to channel into perfect into purposeful action what you were saying i mean it's not just about f- being still and having less stress that is one aspect and one component of course but if you go deeper it's about well how can i be still Go deep, connect to my nature, and be inspired. Inspired into living, letting life flow through me, through my eyes, through my mouth, through my hands, through my work, through, through my connections, my relationships. How how can I allow love to flow through me and and my words and actions? And that's really what you're saying, if I'm hearing you properly. Yeah, yeah. You know the 12th century Sufi poet. Hafiz has a, has a beautiful quote. When all of your desires are distilled, you will cast but two votes to love more and to be happy. And so like, you're really at, so when you're saying like, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my purpose? What's my Dharma? You know, how about like loving more and being happy? How about something as innocent as that and without trying to like make it more complicated. And I think that's, you know, that's the, the, the thing. What, what, what meditation does, if nothing else, it allows us to introduce a break in the action, a pattern interrupt. 
it's sort of like giving our brain, it's our brain taking a breath. And on the other side of that breath, in that space between stimulus and response or what comes in and what go, goes out, there's just a higher likelihood that we'll be a little less reactive, that we'll be a little more patient, that we'll be a better listener, that we'll be more creative. And so I believe that every single problem that's facing everyone right now, if you just got still a little bit, you probably could come up with maybe a, a more creative response to it. Does it make the whole thing go away? Maybe, maybe not. But can it make you navigate it more easily? Yeah. You know, and, and if you can turn your problems into challenges, you know, they're just challenges. You know, we actually have a different chemical and hormonal response to challenges versus threats. So if we can just allow ourselves to sort of like make that, sh that shift from stuff we are translating or interpreting as threatening, but it's not, it's really just challenging. If you can see it as a challenge versus a threat, well, we're inspired by challenges. It's like challenge. I, I think I could do that. You know, maybe, maybe we fail, maybe we fall down, but that's what cultivates resilience and, you know, having a daily gratitude practice, having a meditation practice, spending time with nature, just really just, just allowing the moment to unfold. You know, there's this beautiful line by Lao Tzu. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? But there's a second part to that famous quote, which never makes it onto the meme. You know, but they're sort of like, you know, that's good enough. Let's go with the, do you have the patience part? But the second part of that is, can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? That doesn't mean be a stoner and sit on the couch. That doesn't mean hit the bong one more time. That doesn't mean be a slacker. You know, that doesn't mean don't do anything. Just means, can you remain unmoving till the right action? What it means is prepare yourself because the right moment is going to unfold prepare, you know, practice, do the stuff, dip your toe in the water, take the risk, do the scary thing. And you'll have that divine convergence what, where what's coming inside of you that you're practicing. And it doesn't have to be a profound thing that you're practicing. Maybe it's like, you know, practice having that difficult conversation with someone that you care about, you know, practice sitting down and, and, and writing down a list because you keep getting distracted just write down a gratitude list. There's science. Uh, University of California, Berkeley, they've done so many um, scientific uh, experiments on the, the real clinical benefits of just making a gratitude list once a week. They say people who like write a gratitude letter that takes them at least 20 minutes, you know, or 15 seconds a day putting your attention on something. Because even when we're thinking like, oh yeah, I'm really, really grateful. That usually lasts like three to four seconds. But 15 seconds putting your attention on something that you're grateful for and why. Yes, of course, it reduces stress. But it also reduces depression. It also increases your resilience, which is our ability to get back up after we've been knocked down. Um, it also improves your general well-being. And it also improves our social uh, relationships. So just something as simple as they, they've reported that people who have a daily gratitude practice or at least a weekly gratitude practice say that they're more fulfilled in life. You know, just as, something as, as, as simple as that. So I believe that if we're, again, it's a choice. And I believe that if we choose happiness, if we choose gratitude, if we choose compassion, if we choose kindness, First, of course, directed at ourselves. And that's not selfish, that's self-care. You know, even the most ancient Buddhist teachings tell us, you got to do it here first, you know, internally, before you start acting it with other people. You know, if you're acting kind to others, but you're not being kind to yourself, it's an act. How long can you hold that one? You know, mm -hmm. and so uh, that's a long, you know, it's a, that's going to hurt you more. So, you know, just doing that simple uh, practices internally, of kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and love. Self, the self versions of all of us allows us to step out at a much higher level. Because, you know, when you're feeling great, you're not pointing out all the crappy things that are happening with COVID. You know, when you're feeling really good, you're going to go, and we have to wear masks too? What's that about? You know, when you're feeling great, you're like, how can I help somebody else? That's really, you're not judgmental. You're, you're, in, you're inspirational. So I think that, you know, by, by raising our own personal vibration through these healing practices, and they are healing practices, 
you know, returning us to the memory of our wholeness. We transform the world by transforming ourselves. Yeah. Ooh, yes. And I, I do love that definition of healing, uh, returning to the memory of wholeness, you know, as opposed to like the absence of disease, because it captures so much more, you know, and, uh, oh, man. I, I have so much gratitude for you. Thank you for sharing sharing that. I was I was hoping that you know you you you've been described as having the velvet voice of stillness. I was I was hoping maybe that you could uh, share a a guided meditation around the topic that you've been talking about, since that is your kind of forte, and there are so many ears listening right now that could really use a mini meditation from from you. I, I would really appreciate that if you even, however long or short you wanted to, to, to share with us a little guided meditation, you open for that? Sure. Sure. That sounds great. So one of the first things we should always know with all meditation is that comfort is queen. Always. All right. So this isn't any other kind of practice. This is all about always get yourself as comfortable as possible and always keep moving towards comfort during the meditation. And so together, let's take a long, slow, deep breath in. And ever so gently, let's let that go. And let's do that one more time. Long, slow, deep breath in. Allow your eyelids to gently float closed. And gently release that. And now just watch your breath as it flows in. Watch it as it flows back out. And just keep watching. Notice that your mind is calming. Notice that your body is relaxing. Notice that the swirl outside of you and inside of you is slowing down just a bit. There's nowhere else to be. There's nothing else to do except to be right here, right now, in this sacred, precious, present moment. And just keep witnessing, keep watching. And let's ask ourselves a few sacred questions. First, let's ask, who am I? Who am I? And just allow answers to flow to you. Sometimes there'll be no answers. Sometimes answers will arrive. Simply keep asking that question over and over. Who am I? Who am I? And next, let's ask, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? And just allow people, situations, and circumstances to just wash over you for which you have gratitude. Just let that gratitude list run. And now invite an intention into your awareness. Just one thing that you'd like to have an intention about. An intention can be a state, a state of mind, a state of being, a trait, a quality, or a characteristic that you'd like to elevate or amplify in your life. An intention can also be a step, a real-world action step to move you just a little bit closer to the fulfillment of your dreams and desires. A state or a step. And when you're clear on that intention, when it's crystallized, now invite it into your heart gently and plant it like a seed in that fertile soil of your heart. Plant it deep. Feel it become you. Feel it take root. Feel it begin to merge with every fiber of your being. And now take a long, slow, deep breath in. And release it. Let it go. Let go of the outcome. We'll leave it up to the universe to answer. We'll leave it up to spirit to sort out all those details. 
We don't need to do anything more with that seed that we've planted, just like any seed that we would plant. We don't have to watch it. We don't have to do anything other than water it, nourish it, maybe fertilize it once in a while. How do we do that? By going deep into stillness and silence. So let's take it deeper. We'll use the ancient mantra of manifestation. So hum. As you breathe in, ever so gently, silently repeat to yourself, so. And as you exhale, ever so gently, silently repeat to yourself, hum. So. Hum. So. Hum. So, hum, there's no right speed. As you repeat the mantra, it may change. It may get louder or fainter, faster or slower, jumbled or distorted. That's okay. However, changes don't resist. And when you get to that space where you suddenly realize you're no longer repeating the mantra, ever so gently drift back to so hum. I'll watch the time right here. So all you need to do is just gently drift back and forth. And if you drift away to thoughts or sounds or physical sensations, that's okay. Ever so gently drift back. So let's begin. So... Sit gently with your eyes closed and let the stillness and silence settle in. Do not take a long, slow, deep breath in. And ever so gently let that go. Let's do that one more time. Long, slow, deep breath in. And gently release it. And begin to wiggle, wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, wiggle your belly button, wiggle your ears. And when it feels comfortable, you can slowly open your eyes. Oh, hello. Oh, too painful, right? So everybody can meditate using that. And if you don't want to use a mantra, you could just continue to watch your breath during that whole period of time. What are the, the biggest challenges people um, report to you and uh, that are just kind of on this path? Classic one is, I don't have enough time. You don't understand. I have a job. I've got kids. I've got stuff. I have, you know, but everyone we all have 24 hours. So that's number one. Uh, number two is they forget because, you know, the results are, are so magnificent and yet subtle that if suddenly things get a little calmer in their life, they go, yeah, I'm pretty amazing. I've, I've made things calmer in my life and they don't attribute it to the practice. So they go like, ah, whatever. And then they move on. So, you know, we don't meditate, although I, that was pretty blissful, right? That was pretty, pretty peaceful, yeah. you know? Yeah. That, that's a nice, but we don't do it even for that. We do it because when we open our eyes, now maybe we're a little calmer. Maybe we're a little more patient. Maybe we're a little kinder to ourselves. When that voice suddenly sparks up and starts saying, oh my God, really? You're going to try to do that? You know, you can't do that or anything along those lines. Instead, we go like, whatever, you know, and then we can, we, we don't take that stuff. We don't take anything personally. And that's what meditation does. Not scientifically proven, but, you know, certainly the part of your brain that is your whole, you know, resistance versus acceptance part of your brain actually gets cultivated. We become a little more accepting. And that doesn't mean we like everything, but we just care less about it. We take it less personally. So someone being mean to you, you realize, oh my God, they must be in so much pain. Not, oh my God, I must suck. 
<laughs> it's a big shift between, you know, those two things. And I think, you know, just having a, a, a regular practice and, and that's the key, you know, we have to sort of like wake up and it's, it's much more about consistency than duration. A lot of people say, well, I'm a high achiever. I'm going to lock down 45 yeah. minutes in the morning and 45 minutes in the afternoon. Guess what? No one's got 45 times two in a day to do nothing. You know, we're, we're, we, but everyone's got 20 minutes in the morning, you know, or 10 and everyone's got five minutes in the afternoon to just release everything you've absorbed over the course of the day. We, you know, we know it. Um, and you don't have to do it in the traditional way. You can do it, you know, go to listen to, to the ocean. You can do it listening to the wind. You can do it through, through listening to crystal or Tibetan bowls. You can do it by listening to, to music. You know, there's so many ways that we have, but we must introduce the break in the action. You know, you uttered the word telomeres before. We you know, well, they, you know, Elizabeth Blackburn, who won the Nobel Prize, you know, for her work with telomeres and telomerase, you know, they said like, how does that, how does that healing liquid that coats our chromosomes, where does it come from? And she said, I don't know where it comes from. I only know that it's created. And these are her words, not mine. When we introduce a pattern interrupt into our default mechanism, and then when someone said, "What? What, what are you? What, what's a default mechanism?" She said, our, "Our usual life, which is 24 hours of activity. If we can put any kind of break in between, some kind of activity, no matter what that break is, it creates telomerase. It creates that that healing." agent that coats our chromosomes and gives us a higher likelihood of just living longer, living healthier, having better cellular generation. So we know all the science is, is now there. It's not cooked out stuff. Uh, we know that there's deep emotional healing that can come from having a present moment practice and a gratitude practice. And we know that spiritually, it helps you connect to that thing that you believe is bigger than you, whatever that is. So I don't see a downside, you know, and so people can come up with all the excuses on the planet, but the reality is you just have to start slow, start incremental, you know, bean by bean, bag gets full. And it becomes um, kind of self-sustaining after a while, because you, you know, once you get established a practice, I find that it's like, wow, this is, you see so much positivity that you don't want to stop. Really. It's just the hard thing is getting started. I, I, I believe in, yeah, well, that's why, I that's why I suggest people start with 16 seconds. Just watch your breath as you inhale to the count of four, and you don't have to count. It just takes about four seconds for, for a regular inhale. And then hold that breath when it gets into your belly, and then just keep watching it, keep witnessing it, keep observing it, hold it for about four seconds, then release it, keep watching it, witness it as it moves up your chest, through your throat, out through your nose and mouth, keep watching it, keep exhaling it, and keep exhaling until that breath dissipates into the ether. That takes about 16 seconds. And that's enough of a pattern interrupt to suddenly bring you to a moment of clarity. So just those little types of, you know, throughout the course of the day, breaks in the action can really make such a powerful difference. Absolutely. It actually reminds me of uh, something that Dalai Lama said when you're faced with ch challenge. He said, stop, breathe twice, very slowly smile in every cell of your body and then respond. It's in essence, the same thing you're saying, you know, the great practice that it's that pattern interrupt. I, I had never heard it described like that. That's really, really profound. And, you know, I guess one of the silver linings of this time with COVID is most of us do have a little bit more time on our hands that we can devote to a, what a perfect time to get into a practice or reestablish a practice or refine a practice of, of self-awareness, self-love. So thank you for, for sharing this, these great wisdom teachings and your experience and how can people find you? And um, I know you have some events coming up. Can you share about those? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm normally, you know, having events every three days, someplace in the world, but obviously I'm not now. Um, but I am, you know, I do have my, my, my teacher training. It's 16 weeks. It's all online. And uh, where we explore some of these really ancient wisdom traditions and then how to integrate those into the real world practical application. And 
people can visit davidg.com where I've got over 500 free guided meditations. I'm also on pretty much, you know, whether it's Apple Music or Tidal or uh, the Insight Timer app. I have courses on there on the Unplugged Meditation app. I have I have tons of meditations out there. So most of the content that I've created is is free. So if you just visit davidg.com, you can find, you know, I've created a, a, a video and a guided meditation every single weekend since 2011. And they're all available for free. And if you sign up for my Sweet Spot community, which doesn't cost anything, uh, I'll send those out to you every weekend um, as well. Beautiful. What a gift. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Do you have any closing thoughts or, or words on your end? Yeah. Follow me on uh, Instagram. I'm David G Meditation and keep trusting your heart. And again, you know, even you just taking one long, slow, deep breath in will pr- profoundly change your entire physiology. So let's start, you know, it's, it's, it's one breath at a time. And uh, remember that we transform the world by transforming ourselves. And thank you so much uh, for inviting me to hang out with you and talk about the thing I love to talk about, you know, more than anything. So <laughs> I appreciate the gift. Absolutely. Thanks for, for accepting. It's what I love to talk about, too. It's, uh, it's timeless. Thank you for joining us on Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. If you are enjoying the podcasts, click subscribe. To access other episodes, more interviews, and music, please visit our website at www.mantrasandmusic.com. That's www.mantrasandmusic.com. Join us next Thursday for the release of our newest episode. Thanks again for your support. See you next week. are interested in all the benefits of performing your own 40-day mantra discipline, then be sure to visit the podcast webpage at mantrasandmusic.com and sign up for Geo's premier online training course titled Ultimate Chance Mantra Meditation Course, offering valuable guidance for anyone wanting to increase abundance, enhance health, overcome obstacles, reduce stress, gain clarity, and advance personal goals. You will be guided step-by-step by by Geo to complete a 40-day powerful practice of mantra in a clear, fun, and easy-to-follow program.